Hello, this is Michael Stone, the host of We Earth Radio, where we have conversations that make a difference. We're committed to bringing you leading edge thinkers in the areas of environmental restoration, social justice, conscious evolution, and spiritual fulfillment. In our programs, we look for positive solutions to local and global issues that leave you touched, moved, and inspired to action. Our weekly guests include local and global experts and concerned citizens working together to heal the wounds that separate, alienate, and marginalize people. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to We Earth Radio. This is your host, Michael Stone. And we're going to talk about movement today and how the body moves. My guest is Betsy Politan, MFA. She's an internationally recognized breathing and movement specialist who's been teaching for more than 40 years and is currently a master lecturer at Boston University's College of Fine Arts. Betsy's work is greatly influenced by the Alexander Technique, somatic experiencing, breathing coordination, and the teachings of spiritual and meditation masters. She currently co-teaches an ongoing traveling workshop, Trauma in the Public Eye, with Peter A. Levine, and teaches Returning to Ourselves, the Wisdom of Trauma, with Dr. Gabor Mate. As a well-known educator, she has had numerous articles published in the Huffington Post and is the author of The Actor's Secret, and her latest book, which we're going to talk about today, Hugh Manual, A Manual for Being Human, An Epic Journey to Your Expanded Self. Betsy, welcome to We Earth Radio. Thank you, Michael. It is absolutely a pleasure to uh, be with you and be speaking with you and see where we go. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Well, let's start out with talking about your vision for writing another book. It's no small thing to do. So what was the vision behind this particular book? Well, this book started a long time ago, probably 15 or so years. And I started to write it. And my daughter's a writer. And I told her my ideas. And she said, Mom, that's like, way too big, and too much to put in one book. Why don't you start with something simple, like you've been teaching at, you know, BU, Boston University in the theater, for many, many years, why don't you write a book about your curriculum there? And that'll be easy and and you'll get, you'll be able to do that quickly and easily and then then get to the next book. Well, I did that for The Actor's Secret. It was not quick, it was not easy, it was not simple, (laughs) but I think it's a good book. There's a lot of information in there and it's, you know, it's called The Actor's Secret, but I use the word I mean, it is for performance and actors, but I use the word actor in the Shakespearean sense in all the world's a stage. And we're all actors. We're all playing roles and all the roles are uh, suited and they're difficult to change once we're in a role. So I wrote that and the book does well. And then I thought, okay, now I get to do what I really wanted to do, which was Humanual. And I, I, I think that, I mean, there's so many tangents of it that it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to speak about in a linear way, in a way. But I think 
if I would say what the the essence or the uniqueness of it, because there are a lot of books, a lot of really good books out there for health and well-being and human potential, et cetera, is the combination of what we're thinking, what we're feeling, the physicality of how our body moves, our spirituality, the evolution of the species and our present situation all relating to each other. And actually it's all one thing. And so, and, and, and there's that, and there's our inherent potential, which is, it's just there. That's, that's the expand itself. Nobody can take that away. Lots covers it up, but nothing can take it away. And so the different approaches in the book allow people to come in this way or come in that way or come in this way and then see that that's related to the oneness and the whole, W-H-O-L-E. So the two words that really, you just said one of them that really captured me are the expanded self and the embodied expansion. Can you elaborate on that and, and bring us into that world? Sure. You know, it's interesting. I just told you all about the, uh, the Actor's Secret book. I wanted the subtitle of the Actor's Secret to be Journey to an Expanded Self. And the publisher said, nobody will know what that means. No. <laughs> and instead, they put in techniques for transforming habitual patterns and improving performance, which is true. It, it is that. But... To me, the expanded self, again, can be seen from so many different angles. It can be seen from a, a, a physicality of how we are in ourselves. And most people who are probably listening to this have some sense that many of us as young people were somehow constricted given the environment, the situation, the surroundings and so that constriction just prevented our expanded self. Another way is our thinking. You know, this is how, this is how it should be done. This is what it is. And that my thinking is here, but there's this and there's that, there's this and there's that. And my thinking could, could expand. So there's, all, there's, there's levels to the expanded self that encompass so, so much. The expanded self is extraordinary, but also very ordinary. You know, what comes up for me, Betsy, in that is that when we say the expanded self, well, well, what are the limits? What are the parameters of the expanded self? Because in my 76 years, I have never seen such global divisiveness, alienation, anger, separation. So you're talking about the expanded self. And I think of non-duality or what I call common unity, community, how can your work help us to tap into our innate capacity of what Thich Nhat Hanh might call interbeing? When we separate from ourselves, 
a moment ago, I was talking about back to childhood. So as a child, I, I have this desire or emotion or feeling. And for whatever reason, as I was saying, it gets put down or constricted. At that point, if that happens enough, then I'm going to cut off that part of myself because it's, it's overwhelming. It's too much. I can't deal with it. Um, the best thing to do is to just shut it down so I don't feel it. And so as I cut off from myself, I cut off from a lot. And it's that cutting off that doesn't allow me to see others in a more heartfelt or understanding way. There's so much in that early adaptive phase. And of course, you go into it in your book. I don't know how much depth we can get into it because it's quite complex. And, but at the same time, yeah. there's a certain kind of simplicity to it is that as mammals, we have to learn to regulate ourselves by being co-regulated with a caregiver, a parent. And yeah. if we don't get fed, soothed, nurtured, held, touched, seen, loved, <laughs> loved, yes, all of that, then we're going to make it about ourselves because we don't make our caregivers wrong. We're going to make it about something's wrong. And it's not my mom or my dad, something's wrong with me. And then that's where the adaptation comes in, right? That the parts of our essence get dissociated and frozen and shoved down. Right. So, and not activated. And not activated or, or the possibility of the, the range of possibility doesn't, doesn't get, in, it's not incepted, but it's not gone. And exactly. why that's, that's so important in relationship to your book is how can we heal, even if we just work with the adaptation area, how can we heal those early childhood things that keep us shoved down that we're still doing the same patterns that were developed now at 50 or 60 years old. Right, right. And I think a, a key to that is the embodiment. I mean, I think that that's where the information is because that's, you know, stored in the lower brain and the sensations. I, I think that's key and the way in. And then having cognitive understanding after that is fine. But I think there's a lot, I think that like if somebody has a, a, a habit or a pattern and they just kind of, you know, make this affirmation, I'm going to be strong, I'm going to be strong, you know, all of that until I actually feel that in my body and have the sensations that tell me I'm strong, then it's not going to happen. It's, you, can't, you can't will by thinking a, a pattern away or a habit away. It, it's just, we don't work that way. Well, it's often a bypass. Exactly. You know, it's, exactly. it's a way of not going into the body. And, yeah. and since we live in such, you know, I used to work in the corporate world. I said I worked with heads on sticks. The only reason they have bodies is to take their head to the next meeting. Absolutely. But, and a lot of people live that way. Yeah. But we're so disembodied and we're so techno focused. Right. So how do we reconnect with the body and create alignment and coherence 
with our body, mind, emotions, spirit. Right. I'm going to go back before maybe I get to that. I want to go back a step and clarify what I was saying, how, when I was saying that I use the example, I want to be strong, how you can't just say I'm going to, but you have to feel it. But I want to make a little caveat there and clarify that you can't, or you can, but it doesn't, it's not the deepest. We want to get to the deepest level of that. And the deepest level of that is not like, I'm going to be strong. I'm going to feel my body and I'm going to just strengthen and tighten and posture into this strength. That's not the real way in. And some people are teaching that, obviously, you know, the way I see it is that I need to or want to be in touch with what I am doing and where I am and allow that to have its life and that shifts into the strength. And that's different from pasting it on. It's like if I used it sort of posturally, um, a lot of people sit like this, that's you know a slump or collapsed, whatever we wanna call it. And so a lot of the modern teachings say, oh gosh, that's really bad for you do this, pull your shoulders back, sit up straight, you know, et cetera. And most people last here about, I don't know, a minute maybe <laughs> end up back here. Right. And so it makes us smile. And it's, oh yeah. Yeah. Right. So we know from that, that it's not congruent with my physicality from inside. So we have to go another way. So instead I want to be in that collapse and not pull myself out of it and actually recognize and admit and be, I am really collapsed. This is what it feels like. It feels like I'm pulling. Wow. I'm really pulling. And as soon as you feel and are aware that I, or I am really pulling myself, something else comes in that says, Oh, I don't really want to do that right now. And that, pull down, let's go. So it's more about a kind of non-doing. And then that shifts more into an uprightness, which is on the way more to that strength that I was talking about. And that's very different from pasting it on from the outside. Because again, pasting it on, I still have this. I'm still doing this. And I just move it, it to here. I haven't changed this. This has to be changed. And this is the, I think the access point. What is it that you're actually doing? Can you, can you come in touch with it? Because again, going back to childhood, a lot of these things were so painful that you never want to be in touch with it. It's, it's painful to be here. Two things. One, I always say you can't change your mind with your mind. And the mind is regulating, of course, the body. The biggest thing is that we have, I think it's universal too, having taught in different countries and things, where we are is never it. It's always somewhere else. And so right. we never can do the things you're talking about because we're actually not present. We're either in the remembered past or the imagined future and right. trying to get somewhere other than where we are. Right. And we talk about that as a postural thing and as 
how we breathe, how we're suspended in our bodies, how we're supported and how we're regulated. All of those things come together, but you can't even affect that or work with that if you're not aware of it, if you're trying to be somewhere other than where you are. Right. And that's probably the biggest issue is that we we're not with ourselves, disconnected from ourselves, which of course is anxiety producing, because if you don't have yourself, then you should be anxious because things might not go well and you won't be there to see what's going on. So you're anxious. And that's of course a, a, a world, not a worldwide, but certainly a modern society syndrome. And especially now with what's going on, it's even more. I, somewhere I read that we have between 12 and 60,000 thoughts a day <laughs> and 80% of them are negative, you know, the negativity bias and right. 95% of them are repetitive. So wow. if thoughts, you know, from the reptilian brain are, we're being fed these thoughts over and over again, how do you see transforming this kind of automatic behavior from the past to what Otto Scharmer calls presencing, which I love presencing or igniting the new brain, the neocortex, so that we actually can do these movements and actually be with and stay with the movements long enough to feel the change that automatically happens. Because I think life wants to move through us and heal automatically. Absolutely. What you said was about all of these thoughts. Well, the most important uh, work around that, I think, is uh, the work of Charles Sherrington. And Sherrington was a very famous physiologist. And he said that every thought manifests somehow, somewhere as a muscular reality. So just trying to change that thought will not really go anywhere. You must see what that thought has as a muscular reality. Because once you can detect the muscular response, it's not actually, it's not a response, it's one thing. The muscular manifestation, once you can recognize that, that's what changes something. Oh, Mashal says there's no such thing as a throwaway gesture. Absolutely not. That says so much. And it, what you were saying before about the percentages of thought given here and there, you know, F.M. Alexander, who invented the Alexander technique in one of his books called Man's Supreme Inheritance, he says that, but a large percentage of our thoughts, they're not even ours. Isn't that also true, though, Betsy, about our many of our movements? And they're familial and ancestral that some of them have been handed down for thousands and thousands of years. Absolutely. And, you know, when you think about a child learning to walk, you know, they're going to imitate whoever they see. They're going to walk like whoever, whatever household they're growing up in and who they watch move. That's how they're going to move. Yeah. I actually find it very fascinating when I teach at school like there'll be a a show. And so the parents, the kids' parents will come to see the show. And I'm like, okay, whose parent is that? (laughs) Whose parent is that? 
and see, you know, how I can, I mean, obviously there's some looks sometimes or the red hair or whatever, but other times it's, it's the movement pattern that is so obviously clear. Let's, let's go back to trauma for a second. Yeah. But, you know, we're swimming in this sea of trauma and much of it comes from early adaptive. I mean, it's many other areas where we have trauma, including ancestral and familial and collective, but it really impacts our ability to be present and it keeps us from tapping into this. Something I think you're really interested in is what I call our essential goodness or our mm-hmm. genius. Yeah. Talk about how humanual can help us to become whole when we've been traumatized and the aspect of how embodiment and feeling our emotions and creating spacious interior allows us to reclaim our natural essence. Yes, that's a big question. I just big, sorry. <laughs> you can take it in bites. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think what you were calling this goodness, I come at a little bit of different perspective and I call it the internal organization. And it's the internal organization that allowed evolution to evolve. It's, you know, when you see an animal move, you you see this coordinated movement that it's not disjointed. It's not like hanging on my limbs kind of thing. It's not like that. that. That's the internal organization, I believe, that allows evolution to progress in the direction, if you believe in that. And so that, to me, when I work with someone, I know that that's inside all of us, no matter what. I know there's an internal organization that has allowed this person to be here now in this way. I mean, we're talking, what, 5 billion years of evolution? On some level, that is so much stronger and so much more powerful than any trauma that could happen to me. That's how I see things. And not to, I'm not at all minimizing the difficulty that people go through or I go through or you go through. I mean, we all do. But I think, and and it's been my experience that, when I work with someone, there's always somehow a way to get to that. And I think that's as a trauma therapist or a breathing and movement person, there's always some way to access that. And it's not an alpha doing thing, but it's like when you least expect, it's like there is just this other way into it. But I, I think for me, the the belief I have that is so strong that it's there is what guides me. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm working on a book also. It's called Traumatized, A Love Story. Uh, yeah. And, <laughs> and, you know, I really, the more I work with people, see that there's a force, you know, life wants to live through us. 
Yeah, exactly. And when we look, when we look at all of these things we call dysfunctional or I'm broken and I need to take a workshop to get fixed. That's, I think that's one of those kinds of thoughts that debilitates us because anything that we say is a dysfunction, as you were talking about in, in the, the system, anything that we say is a dysfunction is serving a function. It's exactly. actually an act of love that is happening that our nervous system is smart enough to push down these overwhelming experiences so that we can survive. Exactly, exactly. And then that's a good step. And what is happening on the planet now, I think, which, you know, I don't know how much it's happened before, is that we, we want to go from surviving to thriving. And that's different. That's different. And also in terms of the internal organization, if you look at a, a, a watch a, a baby, a child move, you know, most children move with grace and fluidity that we're just like, oh, wow. You know, we just like can't help but admire. And even, even I, I, I see this even in children who aren't well. It's interesting that their bodies still often have a sort of plumpiness or fullness or spaciousness, even when they're sick. But again, as life progresses and certain demands are made, or like you were saying, certain things don't get addressed or do get addressed, or uh, you know, it com comes in different levels, that, that that gets covered up. And as defenses, we create, you know, we, we create these patterns, these adaptive patterns as defenses and the adaptive patterns interfere with this primary organization. And that includes breath. I mean, right now, the way people breathe is, is really not productive. And we've lost this connection to our expansion contraction of breath that takes us into connection with the world around us. I love that you look at the body as a system. I think you said something like you don't feel your body, you feel what you're talking about, your your organ your current state of organization. Exactly. From a systems perspective, but it's not only my body because you're over here talking to me, but you're also in my nervous system. I'm over in your nervous system. So where does that, that system doesn't seem to stop? Then you go, oh, well, I'm breathing the air from the trees. I'm eating from the earth. I'm getting the sun. Yeah. Um, it's just in this particular, this solar system. We haven't gone to the galactic or the larger system of which we're a part, which is just this amazing miracle. But again, in every time, life wants to live and life wants to evolve. Right. If you just take the breath, it's a recorder that's probably more accurate than your reptilian brain, you know, because I notice I had a lot of trauma early on. I noticed that there's ways that I breathe and I meditate a lot is there's this part of my breath that goes <laughs> at the right. end. Of the breath. And I know that's from early trauma. I don't always know what part of, because I had a lot of trauma, but yeah, oh, that's in there. How do I deal with that? How do we deal with that when it's recorded in our breath 
And when we start to learn how to breathe, often when I teach meditation, people won't want to go on because when they smooth that out, things they don't want to feel come up. Exactly. Well, see, then, then you've done your job. It's a choice. If your, my, your job, my job is to point out that this is how you're breathing. You're breathing very high and that serves a purpose. It brings in the auxiliary muscles and it'll give you extra breath when you need it. But for an everyday breath, it's not the most efficient. So then somebody says, okay, well, I'll, I'll give this a whirl. And they allow a different kind of breath. We'll say for now, I'll talk more about that in a minute, but a, a different kind of breath. And like you said, they start feeling some emotion and something comes up. Then they can choose to address that and work through it or understand it or whatever words we want to use. Or they can say, that's a bit much. I don't ever want to do that and go back to this. And who are we to stop them? I have very specific ideas about breathing that differ a bit from much of what is taught. And the, the main difference is it's a very common directive in breathing circles today to say, breathe into your belly. I don't agree with that phrase because when you breathe and you think about it, where does the air actually, when you breathe, where does the air actually go? It goes into your lungs. And yes, your belly responds, but air does not go into your belly. So that pattern of pushing air into your belly, you know, yes, it's used in certain yogic practices for certain states, but it's not a daily moment to moment breath because air doesn't go to your belly. It just doesn't. Well, not only that, I mean, I know, again, speaking as a trauma survivor, that my trauma is mostly held in my heart and lung and chest area. And right. so breathing into the belly for me doesn't actually touch the part that is the most traumatized in my body. And I can feel that collapse that's there. I can wow. feel that rounding in that collapse of protection from getting hurt a lot as a child. You yeah. know? And so I really work on bringing not only into my chest, but into my side body. And we don't pay any attention really to our back. Exactly. Behind exactly. us, you know. Right, right. And, and yes. And again, when you mentioned this sort of rounding that you actually come in touch with that rounding and recognize that your ribs attached to your sternum in the front and your spine in the back and that there's a roundness to them. And then you get that attachment onto your back, which then allows a bit more space for your back to lengthen and there's more breath. There was a bigger breath. I hope that was okay. I should have asked permission to use no, you. Oh, no, it's, it's great. <laughs> that, that was just a moment. I'm a willing seemed, subject. <laughs> it seemed a perfect moment to what we're talking about. Yeah, it's exactly right. I mean, my experience is exactly right. Yeah. 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 And um, yeah, and it brings up 
old old images and pictures and yeah. thoughts yeah. and some of them I don't really want to be with but I've worked with some of the trauma things that have happened I've literally titrated gone back and see you know where it was just a flash of light what happened was so horrible some of the things you know? right right yeah. yeah and and so I've taken my back self back to the scene over and over again watched my breath keep going and I know it's not all integrated but it's yeah. you know it's taken me many years to integrate that yeah and I'll tell you one thing and ask you a question about it actually I see yeah yeah something yeah oh. And yeah. I saw a really horrible thing as a child. And I worked back to my grandmother screaming and pulling my arm. Right. And got that far. But it still got that kind of, whenever I do it, it's got, and I do Tai Chi and yoga and things like well, that. It, 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 interesting. Let, do you want to do something with it? Or sure. Just, okay. So kind of related to what we were talking about here is that we want to talk about your whole spine because there's this curve. If you put your fingers just in front of the hole in your ear and a little bit lower, where my fingers would meet in the middle of my head, that's the top of my spine. Where my fingers meet, that's where my head meets my spine. So why is that important? That's important because that's where my head actually moves from. Most people don't move their head from here. They move it from the base of their spine. As we recognize this is the top of your spine and just know that letting your head not drop there, but just have a time, yes, just that much, which is really just not a drop down. There's a little bit more length potential in your spine. Yeah. And it's not a linear length but an opening, so lengthening and a widening. Now, recognize that along with that is this a little bit of widening in through here because as it's this is happening, the, the expansion is happening in your torso. So there's a bit more, yes, letting your lungs fill and then switch your hands to here. To my shoulders. Uh -huh. Your shoulders and just don't pull them back. And again, the common directive is pull your shoulders back. Well, that's just really going to give you pain back there. But instead, as your spine lengthens, just allow a tiny bit of widening here. Yes, coming from this. Yeah. Yes. And then just ever so gently with that widening, just start exploring a little bit of movement from that widening place connected and widened, coming right out of your back, fanning out the latissimus dorsi, just fans beautifully. Mostly I feel it right in my... Here, this sternum here? Yeah. And what do you feel there? What is it? There's a tightness and a little bit of pain, actually. Okay to stay with it? But just seeing the relationship of this to the, to the widening to, to here, that sort of maybe call it a diamond shape for now. And again, back to this widening here. And then just exploring again that movement. It's not making that sound now, but it's not as big a movement as I was. Right. But just recognize that it's not making the sound. Mm -hmm. And what it, that, what it feels like. 
what you feel like as you move without that extra pull. Yeah, it's great. It occurs to me, Betsy, that what we just did is an example of co-regulation leading to self-regulation. And I think that's something we need to talk about because it's important in this area because you don't have, I I don't think people realize they they try to power self-regulation kind of like you were talking about, I'm gonna be big and strong or whatever, but you can't have self-regulation until you can have co-regulation. And that's essentially what it is. And, and it really speaks in the face of, particularly with men, you know, the strong, I'm gonna do it myself. I'm a self-made man. I know a lot of self-made women too. So I'm not just that's saying- That's true too, right. <laughs> right. But that brings us back to a place of connection though, when we realize, oh, you know, these, these, these things to heal, it's likely that I, you know, I can do Betsy, I can look at Betsy's book and I can learn a lot and I can create more movement, but mm. to deal with the trauma part of it, mm. you have to have either a group or another person to co-regulate. And I'm wondering your thoughts about that. Yes. And, or, but. If, and this is controversial probably, if we have connection to something large, like a divine of some sort, does that count? Yeah, I I think we can co-regulate with whatever our idea of divine God, higher power, whatever that is that. Okay, as long as that's included, then that's included as a co-regulation, I think. All right, then I'm then I'm on board. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's great. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, another area that I want to make sure we talk about is how you talk about life force, how it moves through expansion and contraction, which we were just looking at, and how the movement can help to heal and help us move towards healing, towards wholeness, to become whole. But it's the expansion and contraction as Peter so beautifully talks about, and you do too in your book. Yeah, I think for me, I, yeah, Peter's concept of pendulation is, is, is wonderful. For me, I would talk about my idea of support. So I'll, I'll just talk us through, and it's, it's for everybody. As we come in touch with whatever is under us, so if you're standing, it's your feet on the ground. If you're sitting, it's your feet and your hips on the chair and maybe your back. Whatever is touching what is under you, if you come in touch with that, become aware of that. And then recognizing that we live in a gravitational field and we need to adapt to that. So we have gravity coming toward the planet and the planet is spinning, giving off a centrifugal force. So something is doing this, something on the planet that has the trees grow, the grass, something says this. So we have this coming this way and this coming this way. So as I bring my attention to what's under me, I have a sense of the the weight or the contact. And then I recognize the ground is under me and that I can easily know. 
But what's more important or as important or relative is that the ground is under me in a supportive way. So whatever is under me is supporting me. And that's an actual genuine experience that I can have in each moment. So in, in that moment, I've gone from a little bit compressed to feeling that support come through me, which is a slight expansion or potential expansion. And then often there's a breath. And then I allow, if I'm standing, I allow that support to come up through my ankles or even if I'm sitting, like I can be, check in with myself. Can I be open enough to receive the support from the ground in my ankles, my knees, my hips, the major joints in my legs. And then if I'm sitting from the chair, coming up through my pelvis and my spine, and then out to my shoulders, my chest, my arms are supported from what's under me. And the more I have that support, the less I'm pulled off it, like you showed us with your pattern. And then also into my neck and my head. And then from there, I look around the room because I have my ground, what's under me, my support, myself, and like we said before, the room, I'm part of the room, which includes you and my room that's here. And that's different. And this is so good for people who have had this not feeling supported as a child and how that's gone into their work life, into their relationships. Yeah. We can just learn to do that kind of yeah. an exercise. Oh, I feel the earth under me. I feel my pelvis on the floor. I feel I, supported. Yeah. I feel the pull and the support. Yeah. 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 I talk about this really square one, because if I don't know that I'm supported, then I'm going to hold myself up. I'm going to one way or another, hold myself up. But when I get that I'm connected to what's under me, I can't fall down. There's no, there's no down. There's nowhere to go. And I love the orienting part too. After you yes. do it, then that's the neuroception part too. Maybe we should talk a little bit about neuroception. The, yeah. Is it safe? Do I, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And especially if I was going into some kind of flashback or trauma experience and I have all this and I look around and say, oh, wait a minute, I'm, I, I'm, I'm fine. I'm not, I'm not in that moment of that Trump tra traumatic thing that happened. That's, that's not what's happening now. I can have a different bodily experience, which then informs my brain that I'm okay. And I don't have to produce that anxiety. And then it goes back. Oh, I'm not anxious. Oh, good. And, and then we, you know, there's this integration breath changes homeostasis changes, uh, the length of the muscles and, you know, et cetera. Yeah, I was just going to say, so let's talk then. There's so much more I want to cover here, but let's talk about stress, anxiety, cortisol, and how to downregulate ourselves when we're feeling this, this overwhelming, uh, whatever, whatever overwhelms us. Well, I think the support um, exploration that I just did uh, with everybody 
has the potential to absolutely downregulate. I mean, for me, that's a, a global downregulating, but also individual too. And of course, there's always the, the longer exhale, which engages you know, your vagus nerve to downregulate. There, there's that. Do you want to talk a little bit about Stephen Porges's work and the uh, uh, polyvagal? It's I, I don't know if you can encapsulate it. It's a big thing to fully comprehend. <laughs> right. Uh, at it's, least we can talk about. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's um. Atomic nervous system. Yeah. In in a short, like you say, in a short moment, <laughs> it's um basically we have. Well, to take jump right in. We have three responses to our environment and especially to danger. And either we feel safe or we feel possible danger or we feel life threat. And there's three branches of the nervous system that address that. And we are in one or the other all the time. And we go from one to the other rather quickly and often. And it, it, it's his theory based on, you know, 500 million years ago when we were sort of creatures at the bottom of the sea, our response to danger was to freeze and not move and to conserve energy and to not be seen. If I don't get seen, I won't be eaten kind of thing. And then 300 million years ago, we developed striated muscles, these, you know, muscles that can move us. So when danger appeared, we got to run away, you know, power, or, you know, to flee or to fight, you know, but again, that's muscular movement and activated. And then the most recent is the, the ventral as humans, when danger presents itself to us, we don't immediately always freeze, or we don't immediately always beat the crap out of the other person. We say like, oh, wait a minute, you know, let's talk about this. Let's see if we can come to some agreement. Or, you know, is this really danger? Or, you know, you, you evaluate a little, you, you, you look with your eyes, you listen carefully, you, you sense the breath that's happening, you know, all of these sort of ventral uh, systems get information. And that's our most, that's our way to detect safety, but it's also our initial question of danger. And also to create safety. I mean, we could use a lot more ventral <laughs> in the world right now. That's that's true. Yeah, because we're in the other two, two or three most of the times, either fight yeah. or fight or freeze, or you know, just the variations of that. Yeah, that's right. Well, because we have this dangerous thing that is who knows where it's going to be. I mean, before we were talking about co-regulation, and now we don't know if the male person who delivers our mail and hands it to us is giving us COVID or not, you know, I mean, it's not that simple in a way, but our part of our, it's like, whoa, I don't want to talk to you. You might be breathing on me and giving me, making me sick. 
when in another time and place, it would be like, oh, here's the, the mail, the mail, but I, I enjoy a conversation with you, you know? Yeah, this is, a, this is being promulgated by the media also. So, yeah. so. yeah, the divisiveness going on, which we won't even get into of how one should deal with this issue. Yeah, yeah, I know. I've been struggling with that one myself. Absolutely. <laughs> Let's talk about resilience. I think that's an important thing. You know, there's our ancestors have dealt with not just viruses, but with plagues, with war, with famine, with disease, all the Malthusian checks have all been, you know, boxed. So we have uh, developed over hundreds of thousands of years a natural resiliency. But for the most part, it seems that fear and anxiety and the current conditions don't let us tap into that natural sense of being resilient. How can your work with the body and the body awareness and the whole systems perspective, uh, looking at the system, help us to be able to meet the, the challenges that we're up against right now and be more resilient in the face of, you know, yeah. institutions, yeah, is all the things that are happening, climate change. Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting because Humanual was finished in, well, it, it came out in May 2020, mm -hmm. right as the pandemic came along. So the book was written before the pandemic. Um, I think the stimulus is greater now. So we're developing new responses. I think it's, I think we're, we're learning about what you're talking about. Um, I think for myself and in my teachings that strengthening the, the things I've already talked about is the resilience that we're all called to go a little deeper. Well, Betsy, we're getting close to the end here, but um, I'll just throw out another little subject to wind us up. And that is the idea of the unified field of universal love as, as the ultimate healing practice and yeah. uh, healing uh, presence and your thoughts about that. Yeah, I mean, I think that I think that is the lesson of what's going on now. And again, I think we're all learning how to talk about this and to uh, ideas on it. But somehow, I know it's there because I've had the experience of it. So I know it's there. How to have it, experience it more now, or, or um it, it is is an exploration now you know it's it's i think i think the more we can presence ourselves in our body with our emotions the more capacity we have to feel the others and i yeah. think part of the practice of developing our own uh deeper sense of of self-love not in a narcissistic way but Right, honoring that this body and this life is a miracle, and right? 
yeah. we build a capacity in relatedness. And of course, emotions are the fabric of, relate, uh, of relatedness. If we can build that capacity one nervous system at a time right. uh, by connecting, that that's uh, part of how I think that we'll be able to perhaps create an evolutionary jump, which is what I'm rooting for. Right, right, me too. But I think that part of that is using our bodies, our body, mind, self, spirit in the way that, well, especially the physicality in its design, like with breath, people breathe through their mouth, your nose is put on your face to breathe. That's what's made to breathe. And when you move or you stand, you hold yourself a certain way. That's not how we're made to, to, to like you, if you stand and you lock your knees, that's a common pattern. You're pushing your knees backwards. They don't bend backwards, they bend forward. And so for me, all of those, the depth, of the resilience that we're going into now makes it even more important to follow our design and listen to, because when I do that, I connect to a deeper cosmic presence of that unified love. And so for me in to, to, to get to that is through the body, because this is what I have. And it's got a very specific design. And when I people follow that, there's much less dis-ease. Obviously not fully, you know, but it's 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 got a it has a way it works that we work. Yeah, so, and awareness is the healing. There's yeah. nothing broken, it's aware, you know, like um. I, I was working with someone the other day and they, they always stood with their hip out standing on one foot. Yeah. What's going on, you know, with that? And I have an, the, the awareness immediately they straightened up just bringing awareness. So I didn't know I did that. Let me tell you an interesting story on that. So I had a young, not young, so young acting student that always leaned this way. And he says, whenever I'm on stage, the director's always telling me, you're leaning on one leg, don't do that. Put your feet on both. He said, but every time I do it, I can't do it. I can't stay there. It's uncomfortable. I don't like to do it. So I said, okay, stay here. Go to where you like to be and let's just stay there a minute and see what happens. So he went there and he's staying there. And after a couple of minutes, he said, it's funny, I just had that, this memory. I said, oh, What's the memory? He said, when I was in school, I was young, maybe in first grade, I, in school we could wear whatever we want. He went to a, that kind of school. But one day we had a, what was called a dress up day. So my dad got me a tie and a little jacket and I went to school. And he said, I went to school and I had this tie on and nobody else had a tie. And he, this is what he did. He said, I had this tie. I was so embarrassed of that tie. I stood <laughs> like this all day. And I said, that. Yeah. And he was like, oh, 
And then he just. That's beautiful. <sighs> now, if you're listening to this on the radio, what Betsy did was hold the tie and lean over and put her weight on one side. Yeah, sorry. I, I yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then once he realized that, he just came back to center and both feet plopped back to the ground. And that was that was it for him. Mm -hmm. You never know, right? And that was a trauma integration that yeah. happened through awareness. Exactly. Not, not getting his body fixed, not changing anything just with awareness. Right, yeah. And I think that's the brilliance of the work you're doing of, I just wanna put a plug in for a manual, a manual for being human, an epic journey to your expanded self. And you can go to humanual, H-U-M-A-N-U-A-L.com and you can get a copy of it and find out a lot more about Betsy Politan's work. So Betsy, thank you for the time and uh, for the wisdom that you shared with us today. It's really wonderful to be with you. Thank you, Michael. Um, I too have thoroughly enjoyed our time together and found our conversation exciting and uh, informative. So thank too. you. <laughs> All right. Well, I hope we can do it again sometime because there's so much more in the book that we could talk about. And sure. um, yeah, just thank you so much. Bye for Thank now. you. Take care. We Earth Radio is an independently produced program supported by listeners like you. We are committed to bringing you leading edge thinkers in the areas of environmental restoration, social justice, conscious evolution, and spiritual fulfillment. If you would like to receive our complimentary newsletter, The Well of Light, make a contribution, or listen to any of our past shows, go to our website, welloflight.com. Thank you so much for your commitment to a world that works for all life.